Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, parents. This is Tim Wright along with Dr. Michael Gurian. And we are excited to have you with us again for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. And today we have another listener question. And we have been so excited about the questions that you've been sending to us. In fact, we have a queue of about three to four months worth of questions, and they're all really good ones. So we appreciate it. If you've got a question for us, go to wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, and you can submit that question. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to tackle one of those questions. And in the future, we may actually try to do two per episode to see if we can get uh, through some of them, because some of you have been waiting for quite a while. Uh, I do want to say a big thanks to our sponsor, uh, A Place of Hope up there in the Seattle area, the center. And they have some great resources in terms of books and inpatient therapy and so on that can help you or people that you love when you're going through some really difficult times. Uh, they're uh, the link to their website is available on wonderofparenting.com, and we encourage you to stop by there and, and look at some of the stuff they have. As I've mentioned many times, Greg Jantz is a prolific author and at least once a year puts out a book on some sort of topic, uh, and uh, I've found great help with his stuff on anxiety and depression, and I know that you will as well. So, Michael, are you ready to dive into the, uh, the question for today? Yes, Absolutely. All right, so this comes from one of our listeners, and as we say all the time, and, and uh, I'm starting to see now on our Facebook page, which, by the way, you can also get through our website, that you are all wising up to our disclaimers before we answer these questions, <laughs> and we appreciate that, but we have to give them because we're not necessarily giving specific advice to a particular question, but we're using these questions as a way to talk about big issues and hopefully along the way, the listener will learn a little bit uh, that might help him or her uh, as they're dealing with their particular challenge. And this is a really interesting one here. There's, there's a lot of things that we'd love to learn more about, but I think we've got some good stuff to talk about. So I'm going to read this question. Uh, and she, she says, I am the solo parent of a curious, smart, hyper-independent little boy. He turns five in a couple weeks. And nobody prepared me for how awful his first year of school was going to be. By all accounts, he was ready, or so I thought. He was smart, knew his letters, could write his name. He was funny. He had friends. But within days of school, they started getting calls, notes, and etc. He was hitting. He was not coming in. I'm guessing from recess. He was hiding. He was being impulsive. At the same time, he was teaching himself how to read English despite going to an all-French school. Now, let's just pause there a minute, Michael. This is an incredible four-year-old boy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so here's what she says. I paid for a psychologist to observe him and work with me in the home. Uh, the report she made was pretty much discounted, I'm guessing, by the, the teachers. I could go on, but whenever I talk to the principal or teacher, I'm told there are no triggers in the school. It's all him. I took him for autism screening was told it uh, merits no further investigation. I brought him to our family doctor and have been told to relax. He's just four and he'll mature. 
Uh, the school questioned what kind of doctor she was. Uh, I submitted all the paperwork for FASD. Michael, that stands for? I think that's going to yeah be their word for the uh, ASD yep. spectrum. Fe- Yep. Well, I know. I think she's talking about. Oh, the you fetal think fetal alcohol? alcohol? Yep. Oh, because he's adopted. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. that's correct. Yeah, you're right. Um, and um, uh, so she was checking on that since he's adopted. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she also put in paperwork for the ADHD clinic. I'm trying hard, even though I believe he's socially mature, and self-regulation is an issue. I can't seem to get the school on board, and they only want to entertain a diagnosis. When I suggest boredom, since he has completed the kindergarten academic portion within the first three months of school. The school gets insulted. Uh, so how can I get the school to be a partner? And uh, so, uh, Michael, first of all, again, let's just say uh, this seems to be an incredible four-year-old boy who seems very, very smart. Uh, if he is learning English on his own in a bilingual or in a French-speaking school, uh, and he has finished, it seems to say, that he finished the academic portion of kindergarten, the first three months of school, and he's only four um, I think we've got a very, very smart young man here, which will lead, of course, to some of its own uh, challenges uh, as he grows older, just being so smart. But what I'd like to do is to use this question, and, and then we'll get uh, specifically to the question itself. But let's talk a little bit about boy brain development. Hmm. This young boy aside, um, generally speaking, boys tend to be a little bit behind girls as they're growing academically in the, in the first several years of their life. So give us a little bit of the progression of a typical boy brain and learning. Yeah. Yeah. Both academically and behaviorally, we can find these little boys behind girls. Uh, we'll, we'll notice it again, um, especially behaviorally in adolescence. Uh, in this age group, it's we're not surprised to find um, uh, that the Actually, the girl's reading at this age and not the boy. In this case, I think this is going to be our one in five or one in three exception boy who started reading really, really early, like like I actually did as a boy. Um, but typically, uh, we're going to find the boy not reading as well as a girl at this age. We're going to find him not having um, a, as mature self-regulation as a girl at this age, uh, not as good impulse control as a girl. You know, in all of the, those behavioral and academic markers, we're going to say that boys are, quote-unquote, in general, uh, a little behind girls. And the reason is that the male brain, um, when it matures quicker than girls, is its gross motors. So it's uh, uh, physical movement, you know, uh, large motor movement, um, running, you know, uh, throwing things, all of those things, the gross motor. And we think that this is the reason the male brain matures this stuff quicker is that so much of human history, males were hunting. So it got into testosterone, into the Y chromosome. And and so gross motor was more important than males were edifice building, you know, et cetera. So we think that's theoretically why males tend to mature that quicker. Girls tend to mature these fine motors and the self-regulation quicker. And girls also tend to mature the um, the verbals, the, the reading, writing uh, stuff quicker. So for those parents who are listening to a question like this and they're thinking, man, my son isn't anywhere near that, uh, it's fairly normal for boys to be a little bit behind girls. I think I think you said, uh, yep. again, what, a year and a half to two and a half years behind they can be in reading, well, depending on the boy? Yeah, in verbals, in reading and writing, boys can be a year and a half behind for sure. And in fact, um, it's mainly boys who we suggest uh, that they start kindergarten later, just simply so that they are they don't feel like such failures. Um uh, you know, so I would say probably nine out of 10 kids that, that are held back, um, 
our, our boys there. Uh, this guy, obviously, an exception to what I just said. Right. And then the second sort of big topic I want to look at before we dive uh, more deeply into this question is is the um, the desire by a lot of parents, and this is personal for me because I've got a daughter who's like this with her son, uh, to teach their children at a young age uh, different languages, at least one other in addition to their native language. So for us, um, with my, my grandson, uh, he was in a school where they were speaking Mandarin part of the day and uh, Spanish part of the day and, and then some English. And now my, my grandson has some learning challenges, and, and we're not quite sure that that was maybe the best environment for him looking back on it, but he's going to stick with Mandarin for a while. So uh, just generally speaking, I know there are a lot of parents who really want their kids to learn a second language. They're thinking about what are going to be the uh, business languages in the future. Uh, I'm not sure what the situation is here where he's going to a, an all-French school and why that is where they live that this would be happening. But what are the advantages, disadvantages to being, say, in a bilingual school when kids are growing up? Um, well, I just think that's going to be individual for the child. The advantages, of course, are the uh, the bilingual, learning two different lang- languages and all the assets that come with that. Uh, the disadvantages are a strain on that brain if the brain isn't really ready for it. So that brain can't can't. Oh, by the way, I want to bracket out if you have native speakers. If your your mom speaks English, your dad speaks um, French, and they speak these languages to their child. Uh, there's no strain on that kid. He just picks it up, right, from day one. He's picking up the two languages. But if it's if we're artificially trying to teach a three-year-old a second language, um, so mom in this case, I believe her her English and her writing is so good that I'm I'm guessing she's well, she's bilingual, but definitely native English. So um, so he's got the English speaking down and but he goes to a french school so he's learning french writing as well as pro- they probably speak to him in french and then he's teaching himself to write english cuz he's just learned his letters at 4 to 5 um i if, if she's seeing any kind of strain on him one of the things she could do is pull back on that uh because uh, unless there's something we're missing uh this doesn't look like two two parents who have different native tongues um there's one parent who i think has english as the native tongue uh, and maybe some French. So if there's a strain on him, pull back on that. But if there isn't an academic strain on him, it's great, fine to learn languages early. In the case of a child who has some learning disorders, I, I my argument, as you well know, we've talked many times, my argument is that learning these extra languages will be a strain, that we need to help focus on the place where the, where the child has some deficits, and that adding t- one or two new languages could strain that child's uh, right now at not the right time, but could well be exceptions to that. Um, for instance, s- certain languages, like I totally understand Alicia wanting, um, you know, your grandson to learn Chinese. Chinese is, is uh, it's a characterological language. So it's actually, uh, there's some good evidence that it, it's good for right side language development in male brains, you know, which we don't generally do language there, but because it's symbolic and diagrammatic there there's some interesting research there um interesting research about math and chinese and those languages um so you know you could you could make the case but for me it's what's developmental or and it's what's developmental at this moment so if this guy if it would work to stop 
uh, you know, to stop the second language development for a month and see if that helps him to regulate other functioning, since most of his irregulation is behavioral, right? Cognitively, he's fine. It's behavioral. So it might be worth experimenting for a month and taking the strain off of him and seeing if we can just work with altering his behavior and helping him to not hit and help, helping him to self-regulate. That's something they could try. I would say that there's an issue with the school, which I know you and I are going to discuss, and, and his normal boyness and where he is as a boy at four to five. That one may require a different school, but I'm sure you and I'll get to that. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. So, so to look at, at the question in particular, um, there, there are so many things going on here. And, um, you know, God bless mom for really, uh, let, let's first of all say she has seemingly done everything that she can do to try to figure out if there's something going on with her son that can mm-hmm. be addressed. Um, so t- tell us a little bit. We've, we've gone over this many times, but you know we always get new listeners, and it doesn't hurt to hear good things several times. Um, let's walk through some of the options that parents have when their kids are acting out the way that uh, this little boy seems to be. Uh, one of the things that she mentioned was um, the fetal alcohol syndrome diagnosis. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And this, in this case, it's an adopted child. Uh, and uh, in our church, uh, we have a, a number of parents who have adopted kids who have really struggled with that particular issue. Um, so what, what are some of the things that parents can look for in terms of that diagnosis, and where do you go to find out if, if that's an issue? Yeah, and I'm not a specialist, of course, in fetal alcohol, but just generally uh, issues with self-regulation, a- you know, anger, acting out. Uh, also cognitive difficulties. So anything that you would, that a parent would say, oh, my child's not developing normally, um, uh, if, especially with an adopted child, or if, if um, you know that, that mom may have been um, drinking during the time of gestation, then th- that's a way to go. Um, and in, in terms of finding it in your city, you would Google, just you would, you would go on to Google and find out um, doctors that specialize in uh, fetal alcohol s- syndrome. That would be the best way to do it. And and what is the uh, autism spectrum test, for lack of a better word? What what is that oh, looking for? Yeah, that's going to go to someone who specializes in ASD autism spectrum, and they're gonna they're they're gonna put the child through all sorts of batteries to try to figure out. Um, I mean, they'll study everything from the eye contact, how the child does eye contact, to how the child picks up social cues. Uh, they'll they'll also study the different cognitive functions of the child. So that's going to be a number of neuropsych batteries that will take a good amount of time. And I think this child has been through those. Yes, it sounds like that. And then also, uh, as we've talked about many times before, ADHD. Uh, now, she said she put the paperwork in for that. I don't know that, that she's actually had any results from that yet. Um, wh- what would be the nuance, if anything, between that and, say, autism? Oh, this is a yeah ADD ADHD. There are there are of course we think eight types now of uh, ADD uh, attention deficit. Um, you're, the child is still going to have 
um, uh, you know, the child's still going to make eye contact. Let's say the child is still going to be picking up social cues. Um, on the autism spectrum, you, you, you can lose a lot of that. But um, the ADD child, that's specific to attention. And then the H component is hyperactive. So might have some issues with attention on certain tasks. Um, and then also this child could be hyper. And, you know, and in this child is young. This child's four. And as you know, I'm suspicious of these diagnoses, unless it's really flagrant in the child. I'm suspicious of these diagnoses so young. Um, because especially with these boys, and, es and, and, and especially in a school, um, well, to finish the thought off, there's going to be four to six hour neuropsych batteries for ADD, ADHD. So for, for listeners um, who are thinking, okay, what do I do? You go to someone who, who does ADD, ADHD, and, and make sure they do four to six hours of neuropsych batteries. Um, but again, I would suggest that for older kids. Um, if, if she goes, you know, they go to a clinic, going to do the neuropsych batteries. If she comes, uh, if she gets a diagnosis of, okay, your child's ADD or your child's ADHD, um, you know, okay, maybe, got to go with that, yes. But this is so young um, that I would question putting this child on meds yet. I would really look at the structure, how the home structure is set up and how the school structure is set up for this kid. Um, and well, I don't know. I'll stop there, and then we, I can get into looking at both of those solution-wise, if you want. Yeah, so uh, again, I think what we want to emphasize here is that this young boy seems to be exceptionally smart, and I'm guessing that that can cause issues in and of itself to be that smart, to be that young, uh, and, you know, she suggests maybe boredom is part of the problem. Oh, yeah. Um, because he's getting through everything so quickly. Um, what are you seeing with what little information we have? What are you seeing with this particular little boy uh, in terms of how smart he is and some of the challenges he's having? Well, I think I, I'm going to talk about a few things that are that are that might be inter, interwoven. One is, so he's adopted. He's an adopted child. Um we don't exactly know what genetics he brings forward. And, and of course, as she said, checking for fetal alcohol um, uh, because he's adopted. So uh, possibly something has come forward. So possibly there is something going on in his brain that comes forward from his genetic line that's hard to trace um, and or from something like um, fetal alcohol. So we've got that component. And, and that component is added to he's adopted. So all of the attachment difficulties, the um, attachment and abandonment anxieties that are subconscious, sometimes conscious, but often subconscious, unconscious, in, in an adopted child, we add those to the mix. So we have these two components that come from the adoption, the unknown genetics in the brain, and then the, um, the pot potential attachment or abandonment issues. Um, and so th that those first two, before I get into the school, those first two would make me want to help this family to expand its attachments. So this is a solo mom. And, and you know, one of the first things when I read this, and as you read it aloud, it resonated again, was this is a solo mom, one parent with an adopted child. And an adopted child really could use more attachment than that um, uh, because that child is coming in with having been abandoned. 
um, uh, even if for the best reasons, but that's how the psyche of the child comes in. And then the child may have these other issues that need extra parenting help. So those two things make me want to just keep saying, okay, where is dad? Or if these lesbian couple, where's the other mom? Where are some other extended family? I think this child's self-regulation is going to improve and his life's going to improve and then cause less worry for mom if he gets two or three good attachment figures. And that brings us to the school. I think the school may not be set up for this kid. The uh, and and if they are set up for this kid, what they would need to do is bring in a you know a teaching assistant or a volunteer or someone into the school who's going to really attach with this child. And uh, maybe there's one or two others like this child, and that person is going to attach well. And then through that attachment will come that guidance that kids listen to when they're well attached, you know, and, and they'll, that helps them work on their self-regulation, alter their behavior, uh, do things quote-unquote right, do things quote-unquote better. Um, but I think with this school, the way it's set up, and with the family, the way it's set up, that there's still a certain abandonment of this child's development, which is not malicious. It's just that he needs more, and he's not getting more. He needs more, and so he's coming from a home in which he probably doesn't have quite enough attachment for his hyperness to get the self-regulation it needs. And then, um, uh, not that, by the way, mom isn't 100% attached. That's not the point. It's that he needs, he may need other assets. And then in the school, you know, there's a bunch of kids in that school. He's very smart, so he's bored. When he gets bored, there probably isn't, there aren't enough assets to kind of redirect him. So then he acts out in his boredom and he hits someone or he runs around or he just does something, you know, that shows bad self-regulation. Um, and there aren't enough assets to attach to him in that classroom to help him. And and who knows, it's very possible the folks in that classroom, there may be just one teacher. And it's very possible that one teacher really isn't trained in dealing with boys and hyper boys specifically. So, um, you know, it's just desperate for a diagnosis for this kid. Uh, so that then some meds can be used. Uh, so I think this is a cascade of factors. D- does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting. Um, I want to go back a little bit to the attachment and, and getting some people involved. And um, I'm going to ask you about a particular kind of attachment that some people will find somewhat uh, offensive, and yet most single, mo- single moms know this immediately. Uh, how important would it be to get a man into this young boy's life? Well, yeah, that's why, of course, the first thing when I saw Solo, I'm thinking, and I and I read it, I thought, huh, darn, if there were a dad there, some of this would be helped. And um, and so if dad is not available, as unknown, um, yeah, a lot, males teach males self-regulation. And, um, and of course, females teach males a lot of self-regulation. It's not an either-or. But um, the reason that the fatherhood research is so strong and robust is um, the behavioral outcomes of boys who have fathers and girls who have fathers, uh, uh, the behavioral outcomes are more positive. And, and so, um, so this is it. I mean, this is really like a Petri dish of it. <clears throat> Here's a little boy who is also hyper, so he doesn't self-regulate very well anyway, who needs that what we call masculinity or male development or paternal nurturance is sort of the scientific word I use for it. Um, he needs that too. And so I do think having a man would help. And, and in fact, if I were consulting in that school and if she wants to keep him in that school, which I think is an issue to discuss, but if she wants to keep him in that school, I would be going right to the teacher and principal of that school and saying, okay, what young man can be hired to be a tutor or a TA for the kids in this school? Um, 
And it'll help not just this boy, but actually could help some other kids in the school. Now, what what role do you think him being, we're going to assume, really smart plays in all of this? I mean, we oftentimes hear about geniuses, for example, and I'm not necessarily calling him a genius, who also tend to have trouble um, with social skills, uh, maturing, and so on, just because they're so incredibly smart. Um, what things might this mom be looking for in terms of how smart he is? Well, some of this he's, he is going to grow out of. He's going to mature, whether smart or not. Um, he he is very smart, and so uh, he's got the added disadvantage in a social setting of the boredom, which which triggers him um, uh, to to not be not do self regulation very well to act out. Uh, I I don't think it would be. I wouldn't be willing to say. And I know you're not saying this that because a kid is smart, he's not going to behave well. I mean, there's a lot of very smart kids who behave very well. Right. I think I think that if if his his um, intelligence is causing him issues here, it's a structural. It's issues in the structure, like that school structure. I think in a, a and the home structure in which I'd love to see one or two more attachment figures. I think it's it's that's the issue. These are structural issues in attachment, <clears throat> in bonding, and then in, in in mentoring, you know, of this little boy who will grow out of some of this, but without that, let's say, father influence or some masculine influence, without more attachment, with without a different school structure, um, uh, he may not mature out of this as quickly. And, um, and to some extent, he may actually have challenges like this all through life. And of course, we're assuming it's going to test out that he that he is not fetal alcohol, and that everything is basically solid, you know, for him in terms of brain development. But it, it'll take longer to mature without these other influences. And and so I, I actually go more toward the adoption thing mm-hmm. than I would go toward him being smart. Except the smartness is the boredom, and then that triggers this lack of self regulation. Yeah, as I'm reading this uh, little note from her again. Um, it, it's, it stands out to me that um, before he went into school, uh, everything seemed really good. Um, he was smart, could write his name, funny, yeah. and had a lot of friends. But then within days of being in school, things started to unravel. Um, could it be, uh, you're, you're talking about the structure of the school, could it be that the structure uh, for him was, was too uh, structured uh, or not structured enough? W- what might you see in that? Uh, again, we don't have all the information, but but the, such a, a big transformation in just a few days' time. Yeah, it could be either. I mean, it could be it's it's highly structured, and he's reached a kind of threshold of uh, of um, mental stimulation, and he can't. He it's too much for him. You know, he's pulled by a structure this way. He's pulled by the lang- the new language this way, and it's just too much for that brain. So it's sort of overstim. Uh, that really could be. Um, it could also be that it's that it's very permissive, and that the that the folks don't really understand how to handle him, um, and so they don't understand how that he actually needs more structure and and a ritualized attachment, for instance, and things like that. Um, that one is one where we'd have to spend, you know, we'd have to go observe the school. Right. So that one, I, I don't, I don't know any way to answer that. Even if we were talking to the mom right now, I, I that's one where we got to look at the way the school's set up and watch this boy interacting with that structure. If we find that, if we find that that structure is overstructured or understructured for him, um, you know, I, I return to this concept that maybe he should be held out of kindergarten for a year 
and or maybe they should move schools uh, or she should move his school. She said that was not convenient to do, and I totally get that. But if they're looking for a diagnosis from from him, and if she's taken him to all these folks who diagnose and they're saying no, that and as you've just said, before he went to school, uh, from her, uh, what she has said is everything was fine. Then there's something, yeah, there's something going on in that school structure that may not be right for him. Right. Or, uh, as you said before, it could be that what's troubling this young boy is uh, some uh, abandonment issues or just separation issues from his mother, uh, where maybe he felt safe Mm -hmm. and secure, and now he's in this place where he doesn't know anybody, and that's added to some of his stress. Uh, Yeah, that's well said. That's another reason to think about waiting a year uh, this, this, is, this is a complex case, and I think, I think we're going to be in the realm of three or four elements of causation. You know, yeah. like it's our tendency, of course, as human beings is to analyze and find one cause. But I don't I don't think there's one cause in this case. I think, you know, in some of the other questions we've had, the decades you and I, you know, that we I've done this, the decade you and I have worked together. Sometimes we hear questions like this and we go, wow, OK, this is a normal boy. He's in a kindergarten in which no one is trained in male brain development. And so they want him to be a girl. Right. Yes, I mean, we, yes. we hear this. And our colleague like Michael Thompson says has that wonderful saying. I think it was him. I don't think this was me. I think it was him or you said um, boys are sometimes treated as if they're defective girls. Yeah. Was that him? <laughs> no, I think that <laughs> or was, was that you. Uh, that or was me. Katie. That was your friend Katie who used to uh, be w- on your team. And she said, she said, I used to look at boys as defective girls. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes people do that. And sometimes yeah. women, without realizing it, do it in school settings, not maliciously, but they just don't have the training. Right. Um, so, you know, we can go, okay, I think that's it. Let's get training to that school. This is going to get better. But in this case, I see three or four potential elements of causation. Right. So in terms of bottom line for this mom, and I know we have to end, is if if this is not improving, and, and the diagnoses all come back as as no, nothing wrong with this kid, quote unquote, and this does not improve. I, I just think we got to move this kid. Yep. And and as you said before, surround him with uh, some people he can attach to, whether it's a uh, a grandfather, a grandma, uh, mm-hmm. an uncle, uh, you know, one of the teachers at the school. He needs somebody, uh, some other people to surround him and, and help him feel loved and, and safe. So we we sure appreciate the question. And as I said at the beginning of the show, you can send your questions to us uh, at wonderofparenting.com. There's a submission form there. Uh, we have been getting some questions on our Facebook page. If you want to join us on Facebook, uh, I do uh, every week post a couple other things that take us a little deeper into the topic. We have a question of the week, uh, most weeks, and uh, it's another place where you can submit questions to us. And uh, next week, uh, we are going to be looking at the lying teenager now, I'm not even mm. sure that's an oxymoron. I think that might be just uh, a normal adjective for teenagers at some point. Uh, but this is a mom who's concerned about some behaviors in her teenage son. And I think anybody who's raised a teenager or who's going to raise a teenager uh, will appreciate this next podcast. Uh, again, you can uh, get more information on us, wonderofparenting.com. And a big thanks to our sponsors at A Place of Hope up in the Seattle area. Michael, thank you very much. Hey, thank you. But before we end, we, yep. we forgot to mention on one. Wonderofparenting.com, if folks go to the, the Patreon link, yes. the Gurian community link, what, what you and I just decided to do, and so we're announcing it today, is that we're getting so many 
questions, and I can answer also. I can also answer these questions through our Gurian community on Patreon. It doesn't mean we won't answer them on the podcast, but if people want to get a quicker answers, if you join um, the Gurian community there, which is through Patreon, and it's only ten dollars a month, if you join that, um, I'm going to start giving some answers in the video clips too, so that people can get answers from various formats, um, and 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 some of you can get your answers quicker. Um, That's excellent because we're so backed up, right? And and uh, so the difference would be uh, that the video you'll you'll get to see Michael, and uh, the the answers will be a little briefer. We'll go more in depth when we do the podcast, but it will at least get you access to some of your answers more quickly. Uh, and it's just ten bucks a month. You can try it and and drop out any time you want. And that link again is on wonderofparenting.com as well. Thank you, Michael, for reminding me of that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tim. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. We will be with you next week when we look at the story of the lying teenager.